Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC. Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Sashi. I'm the editor at the GRC Institute. And today, after, I think, two years, we have Carol Ferguson, our regulatory expert, back on the podcast. And we have our CEO, Naomi Burley. Um, all of us not in the same place like we did before, but um, at least virtually in the same place. And today we're going to have a bit of a chat about internal dispute resolutions and the sort of the changes that are happening in that space. So I'm going to lob the ball to you, Carol, and get started. Why are we talking about this today and what what is what is happening in this space? It, this came out of Ramsey and Ramsey was very, very critical of the, the way that firms were dealing with IDR. I think up until Ramsey, people kind of thought that they were doing a not bad job. Um, and and Ramsey came as a bit of a surprise to them when it was so deeply critical about about the way that they were doing things. And and ASIC took the ball up and ran with it in a way that has surprised I think most of industry. And especially because the existing codes, um, RG165, etc., people thought that you know they had enough. Uh, um, framework around which to to deal with. The new framework is is much tighter, much harder, and and incredibly data driven to a way which is going to make it very difficult for a lot of compliance people to deal with. Um, so when ASIC did a an initial survey of a small number of firms, it came out with a variety of of things to support what Ramsey was saying. So. There was inadequate quality assurance, monitoring and oversight. There were issues with management and a cultural approach um, with particular bank subsidiaries, which was a surprising thing. Apparently, some subsidiaries basically disregarded were basically disregarded as complaints um, um, originators because they were perceived as being difficult. Um, there was poor quality communication overall and particularly with the financial response uh, final response letters and and I've had a recent experience with a with one of my neighbors under the new regime and the letters that she has been receiving to say that they are dire from a large entity has really surprised me and and it shows how far some of the firms have actually got to go um, in terms of improvement of the, of the way that they deal with consumers. There was an un unacceptable delay, particularly with financial hardship um, um, assessments. Um, there were specific, um, uh, the specialist complaint staff were limited by their financial delegations and particularly their influence. And that's a major thing. I mean, it's all very well having people who are responsible from complaints, but if they're perceived as being, well, they're not part of us and we don't have to listen to them, that makes life very, very difficult for those teams who are trying to resolve these matters. There was limited focus on systemic issues, and, and that is actually part of the, the sort of process of trying to, to get these, these issues elevated to boards and particularly um, even to compliance committees. A lot of them weren't even being reported to the compliance committee, which was extremely concerning. Um, there was <clears throat> there were um, there was a, um, inadequate um, contribution financially to ensure compliance with IDR timeframes, no, notification of, of the AFCAR requirements, and 
and multiple recording systems existed, but there was nevertheless under-reporting. So whilst you, they were recording some data and in lots of different places, it never, nevertheless got under-reported. So these were very serious issues and came as somewhat of a surprise to, to ASIC because they thought the firms that they'd selected would be doing a reasonable job, and indeed they weren't. Um, so that's that's kind of was a driver for for the more cynical approach that ASIC's taken in this space. So, with the cynical approach, I guess what what do you think ASIC thought would happen with these final uh, data reporting requirements? Like, how did they think it was going to help? Well, I I think that they the, what they're saying is we've given you chapter and verse. Um, the initial response was before the IDR re data reporting came in, and now they've chosen 11 firms who are the first sort of monkeys, for want of a better word, who've got to, to do the, re the first lot of reporting. But, but the reality is, is that the way that it's been structured is going to be very difficult for smaller entities. For larger entities, it's going to be hard, but for smaller entities, it's going to be damn difficult because the requirements are so um, IT-led that, you know, the the ability for smaller firms to find the revenue to under to get this work take, um, undertaken is going to be very difficult. Yeah, I'd have to agree, Carol. Um, some of the, the push from the regulators for everyone to adopt tech at the same level as though it's scalable and the price is scalable is a little bit disingenuous given that the, that ASIC has been running those RegTech forums and understands who the providers are, how small the market is and what the pricing looks like. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't think the small organisations can't get any economies of scale. Having said that, I can understand where ASIC's coming from in terms of wanting people to use their data better. And yeah. it's been, you know, something we've long preached. If you're getting customer complaints, that's an, these are either near misses or their or their breaches. Um, you should be using that data in really constructive ways in your compliance program. But I think it's I think it's a combination of funding, combination of mature compliance professionals who have the skills and experience to recognise that value. Um, and to do something with it as well. So again, small firms, I don't know how well they'll be able to do this because their ability to recruit someone with the experience and expertise to be able to to be able to deal with this is going to be really limited, I think. Um, I think it's a coefficient of a number of things. Firstly, having systems that have the sophistication to be able to record this data. ASIC said it can be done on Excel spreadsheets. Well, having run in the past some fairly sophisticated things for a short period of time on Excel spreadsheets. Now, look, you can report to ASIC in Excel, but, but the reality is, is that getting this data to any workable format so that it can be usable by the firm and having it in Excel is not going to be irrelevant. It's not going to be, a, you know, an appropriate way of doing things because it's just too hard. And particularly if you're a large entity that gets a number of complaints, and if we're looking at the fact that, you know, in the last year there were 70-odd thousand complaints made that went to AFCA, um, and so behind the 70,000 you could probably say there's 250,000 or more complaints across the industry, and some estimates are, you know, 700,000. So each of those complaints represents 10 satisfied or, or 
you know, unsatisfied people who don't want to go further. 700,000 complaints is a lot. And yeah, and, and an Excel spreadsheet is relying on a human being entering that data. There's no interface with that. So, you know, yeah. we've all done that sort of qualitative research ourselves. If those people aren't trained to enter it in a certain way that you can then utilise that qualitative data yeah. and turn it into something that recognises a systemic issue or can identify a source of a potential issue, then it's rubbish data. And yeah. that's what you're going to be working with. Yeah, and and so it's going to be hard. But looking at you know the issue of who who it's intended to help, look, it's intended to help consumers by making the whole process of IDR easier. Um, the timeframes have been shortened dramatically. Essentially, they've been halved um, for superannuation, and and that's going to make a very big difference. Asics view and and. Sadly, it was possibly correct, was that the industry were reporting to 45 days because that was the time limit. Mm. They weren't reporting in shorter periods of time because they had longer to report. report. Now there is a bonus, for want of a better word, in reporting in under five days, in, in resolving in under five days, because then you don't have to do the IDR reporting. So there is actually a... Um, pressure on firms to try to resolve things quicker, but where but you can't resolve things if there is no goodwill within the firm, if you don't have resources to be able to do it, and if you don't have the systems to be able to access the information that's underlying it. So when you look at it, it's it's a um, laudable um, time frame to get it done within five days. But that requires tremendous interface between various parts of the business and getting people to do things, drop everything and do a complaint is going to be a very interesting cultural change within firms, I think. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and if you had the luxury of having staff that was specifically trained in that area, that's well and good again. But small firms won't have that. Well, they're going to have line. Because ASIC's ex expectations are that you're going to have to have staff who are IDR specialists. Mm. You're going to have to have somebody who is responsible for the reporting and somebody who is actually responsible for the management of the of the complaints as they come through. And and the timeframes are incredibly tight. So that if you've got somebody who's complaining about a unit pricing error, that takes a lot of time to resolve sometimes. And, you know, if you've only got 30 days, then that puts a tremendous amount of pressure on your back office people, the portfolio managers, um, et cetera, et cetera, the, the, um, the trustees of the funds, and the, sorry, not the trustees of funds, um, the custodians, et cetera, to make certain that you've actually got the right information to make certain that the unit price that was struck was actually the right one. And sometimes getting people to get aligned can take a little bit of time and now it has to be that boards are going to be telling their staff um, IDR is the forefront of our business we do two things we supply our customers with a return on their investment and secondly if they complain we resolve it in as quick a time as we possibly can and optimally within five days because without that then the pressure on the firm in terms of clerical administration of complaints is just going to be too great. 
I think it's interesting because I think, Name, you've you've picked out two things there, um, skill set issue as well as probably difficulties in leveraging data. And I know that we've talked in the past about that lack of ability to leverage data appropriately has probably resulted to a lot of major issues that we've seen splashed across the mainstream media. So if this has happened, it means that they have to find a way to resolve this. What I mean, how how will this work for a smaller firm who might not have the resources to to get that that idea or specialist, as you talk about, Carol, or mm. or be able to afford that reg tech product if it does exist that will help well, them to do this? This is kind of a thin edge of the wedge in some respects, in my view. That you know, ASIC's very much about reducing the number of financial ser- service firms and re- licensees. And how you do that? Well, you put pressure on them systemically, you know, systemat- um, by by saying you have to have better systems, by saying, you know, you have to have the ability to do complex um, resolution issues within a ridiculously, in some cases, small um, time frame. And, and so I think it's going to be one of those hard things is that sometimes people are just going to have to bite the bullet and say, we can't afford to be in business anymore. Um, because there's a lot of pressure on on management fees, downward pressure, and that's appropriate. But if you can't get make do with the amount of money that you've got coming in to get these new systems, buy the the staff that you need, upskill people within your your firm to understand the the pressures of of IDR on the business, then you know it may be that you need to merge with other firms. Um, just to try and get some economy of scale. You know, it's a hard one. And yeah, I'm not, yeah, I, and I completely agree, Carol. It's one of those ones where it seems like it might be a little bit of a clean-up job on the smaller players who yeah. who aren't really equipped um, to deal, you know, have have the adequate systems and processes to sell the products they sell, I guess. Yeah. And and I am certain that ASIC's going to, to deny. In, oh, of course, that's not what we're going to what we intend to do, etc. But but I think it will be an unintended consequence. And especially because you know the the um, range of consumers that it applies to has been extended by re, redefining who is a small business to to a, um, a way which doesn't didn't align, for instance, with the Australian Banking Association's definition of small business. So it's now a small business is a, is a more, um, is a larger business than what used to be a small business. Um, it can have 100 employees now. So that's, that's for a lot of people is a relatively substantial business. But, you know, that, that business is now classified as a essentially a retail customer for the purposes of the IDR. And the other thing is they've they've extended the range of, of of financial services to ones which actually aren't financial services under Chapter Seven, but are one or under the Credit Act, but are ones that they they kind of think that, you know, it'd be nice if you if you, you know, considered those ones with your IDR as well. So um, you know, people who have multi um, um, product offerings are going to have to be very careful to make certain that it's not just the ones they think are caught, but the every product that they offer is actually reviewed to make certain it isn't caught within the within the the requirements of RG two seven one because it's going to be hard, I think, for people and, and in the data 
data handbook, um, it's going to be hard for some people to realise that sometimes, eventually, we've got some problems here. Um, and, you know, as an example, the people who provide, um, um, uh, what's it called, um, for car um, repairers uh, are putting them, their people on notice about the, the data that's necessary to report to general, uh, to general insurers in relation to car repairs. I mean, hello, that's, that's extraordinary from my perspective, that that's, that's how it's, it's drifting down, that, that industry associations are concerned for, for what you'd call were offshoot um, organisations um, or companies about how their, their um, processes will actually impact IDR. Mm. So if you put your car in for repair and you don't like how fast it's being resolved, instead of speaking to, to the firm that you're, you know, who are doing the repair, now you can put in a complaint to, or you always could, but it's, it's never actually been, been considered to be a formal complaint. Um, and it's now going to be considered to be a formal complaint. So that's an interesting sort of adjunct to where it's all going, I think. So, oh, sorry. Oh, I was going. I was going to say. So, in terms of success factors, if you wanted to tackle this and and try and and try and be successful at it, you know, what's your first approach? Do you think, Carol? You know, what what do you need to step back and have a good look at? Well, I think the first thing is to to examine your your product suite to ensure that every product that you've got is captured and that there's been an analysis to see whether that is a product which is actually captured by the new requirements for IDR reporting. That's the first thing. The second thing is to develop probably the strongest relationship you're ever going to have with IT and, and to ensure that IT understand that this is stuff that they you want them to do. And when you look at the data reporting handbook, it is written by, in my view, by an IT professional for IT professionals. If you're, an, if you're a compliance person who can work through that and you're very comfortable with that, that's terrific. But I actually don't think that that's actually a compliance function. I actually think it, compliance's job is to ensure that, that whomever ha, is up, uploading that information or designing the program to upload it actually has done the requisite job but it's not your job to do it because it's just so IT driven that to do it, I think, is just, you know, um, an inappropriate use of compliance time. But, you know, to make certain that you do on a random basis that the relevant checks to make certain that for customer A, you've reported their name, gender, etc., cetera, um, and has been d done in the right field set. So you've got mandatory, you know, et cetera, have all been been worked through within the within the system um, and and then it's the board as well to become really focused on the fact that IDR is is now part and parcel of how you run your business so to make certain that IDR issues are reported through the the compliance committee to the board and that the board is very much aware of the time frame. So that if something goes over five days, the board needs to know that it's gone over five days. If something That's probably very critical uh, in light of FAR coming in, which it will yes, do. Absolutely. And I think that that's, that's the thing is that when you, when you consider this is all about ASIC getting hugely um, accurate data to underpin quick um, um, compliance action. 
if you if for a regulator getting this type of, of information is critical some years ago um austrack said to to industry oh look we know that our systems are really hard so just give us all your data and we'll do it for you and that was really, was um rebuffed by industry so essentially asic said give us your data don't you know we're not going to give you any any outs with this this is going to be hard we know and so you give us your data and then we'll use that and we'll actually go back to you to tell you whether you've the deep dive that we've done on your data is appropriate mm. so we're going to go back to you and tell you whether your data is good or not and then we'll take your data and we'll do some assessments from it and and they'll be looking at the number of complaints that have been made the areas that it, of complaints that have been highlighted um, particular products that have you know regularly pop up from from within your organization that there are difficulties with and that gives them a very easy mm. you know ask of why is it that all why? of your products with this particular um, fund have you know you've got a um, a reporting you're reporting that your complaints are infinitely higher than any other um, fund that you're operating or, or even i hate to say it for all those who are participating in the breach reporting yeah. to asic which again is just a give us all your data um, request if they those two don't align and you don't yeah. appear to have any breaches in that area where you're getting all the complaints yeah. <laughs> there's yeah. going to be some really prickly questions and i think that that's going to be one of the things that people compliance people have to be really careful to make certain that there is a complete alignment with the IDR data and breach. And if if you're showing that you're getting 100 complaints a month, but you're only reporting zero breaches, then that's a big wake-up call for you. You're going to yeah. have to really look every time the IDR data is generated to make certain that you are actually reporting the number of breaches and that you know about the matters that are being reported. Yeah. I mean, that's one of the hard things is for um, compliance staff to actually have the resources to go through and understand how many IDR matters are being dealt with at any one time. So yeah, I think of, that's a big challenge because yeah. even with the breach reporting, having enough compliance bodies yes. to go through that data and do something with it. And and I don't know that it is something that can be tech driven because they're talking about, you know. Oh, no, um, that's tech driven. This is yeah. bodies on the ground because mm. the tech driven component is actually the generation of the list, but the you need to have the analysis done. So you need to have people who have, have skills to be able to work through that and say, well, hang on a minute, this you know number of breaches far are, um, are less than the number of IDRs, and what does that mean? I mean, are the issues just serious, simple ones? Or are they serious? And and that requires some skill to be able to do that analysis. So you're going to have to have tremendously goodwill between um, compliance and customer service so that you're actually getting the right outcomes. Yeah, yeah. So, so any any other last success factors? Sorry, Kwame, I keep talking over the top. <laughs> Go ahead. Sorry, what was that, Naomi? Sorry. Any other last hints and tips for if you wanted to do this successfully? Make sure that's all aligned. Uh, what about revising any training in terms of IDR? Who, who's yeah, your team yeah. that's going to deal with it? I think training, training, training and training and regular updates of training and to make certain that IDR reporting requirements are part of your induction pack because 
you know, people's staff changes. And so you need to make certain that every staff member is aware of the requirements for IDR. So it isn't going to slip through the, the cracks, for want of a better word. And that people understand, you know, it's it's a, um, a complaint comes in and it's the complaints are not necessarily written. They can be emailed. They can be on on your social media, the number of, of ways in which complaints can come in now are wider than what they used to be as well. So if you've got complaints coming, somebody's got to analyze your social media as well. If somebody's written, well, XYZ Limited are just a serious lot of jokes, I had a problem with them and they didn't listen, that's a complaint. If they put their name there, that's a complaint. And, and so this is the issue that you've got to, to now be more mindful of a wider range of, of inputs into the complaint pool than what you were before and, and have ways of contacting these people and reaching out and essentially saying, well, you are unhappy on, on social media with us or on our, on our internet. Can we now talk with you about what your issues are? And to realize and to sort of work whether that's going to be a formal IDR, informal, direct or indirect. I mean, the, the definition of complaint is so wide now, you know, it can be direct or indirect, an indirect complaint. I think that's fantastic. And the fact that you can have a regulatory outcome come from an indirect complaint, I think is just truly marvelous. And and where that leads your your compliance people is in a whole lot of problems if they haven't sat down and really worked this through with IT and um, customer service and and the people who are responsible for the social media platform, which is often marketing, and to make certain that everyone is on the same page and everyone understands the issues that are going to be, you know, um, facing your organisation if proper steps are not taken. So now is the time you're starting to record that data, change the recording, because people started to record the data in ways that were different from what the data handbook requires you to do. Marvellous. So you had some people who weren't recording on an Excel spreadsheet um, because they thought it might be easier not to. Now you've got to record it in ways that, that allow for interface with the ASICs um, um, websites. And they are very hard and very firm about what they want. And to make certain that anything that you've done, you review and it works. But secondly, that you have captured everything that you need to do to make certain that the things that you need to report on, you're actually reporting on. Mm -hmm. and, and I can see that this, you know, it's not like our members have anything else to do. <laughs> um, but when you add this to, all of the other things that you've got to do, um, members, all I can assure you is take the time to communicate strongly with your boards so they understand what's, what, what the requirements are from ASIC and they understand that this actually is a new generation of regulation and is actually going to make, make um, the compliance role more difficult than what it was before. If it wasn't hard before, ladies and gentlemen, it's going to be even harder going forward. Mm. I mean, ASIC are very consciously addressing those non-financial risks, aren't they? Sorry, Kwame, you go. No, no worries. <laughs> I was just going to say that I think we're, we're coming to the end of time, but I think some other lessons there as well is be as tech agnostic as possible is what I think is important there. Yeah. And for any um, 
anyone new to the profession and who's looking for a job uh, maybe you should go get a skill set in some IT or something like that because that looks like that's going to be the future um, in the direction where ASIC's going. Well it's a hard one because it's not necessarily a skill set that your average compliance person has um, you know and and so I think it's about building relationships between yes. I, I, I agree. Building and, relationships with the experts because it moves yeah. too fast for you to be able to keep that skill set up to date. But very yeah. definitely having a very broad understanding of what quality data can look like and yeah. then the ways you can use. And I mean, the, the positive out of all of this is that hopefully from an organisational perspective, there are now no more arguments when you do a risk assessment on your likelihood of a breach occurring because you've got the data. There's no no more pushback from people going, oh, you're wrong, which yeah. used to be the old way. Yeah, It's like the data doesn't lie. We've got it here. We've been reporting it to the regulator. They seem to agree with it. So yeah. hopefully there's some positives out of it. And that's why you need to have these communications with your board so that they do understand that, Compliance is not being nasty about reporting it to the regulator. Compliance is actually, um, it's mandatory that they do yes. it. It's not optional anymore. And and so the nexus between um, IDR and breach reporting cannot be under-emphasised. And mm. it's really important that your boards understand that, you know, ASIC already under, or will already know about your problem yep. before, you know, some of the boards have actually addressed their minds to it. Yep. Yeah, you, you do have to wonder if this is another area where um, ASIC will be wanting to deploy their natural language processing subtech. Yes, and and I can see, you know, it is ASIC is now becoming it's a way of saving money in some respects. You know, if you become more IT focused, then you know, and um, this allows them to do deep dives without, you know, with just by pressing a button. And, and if you've got systems which don't allow you to do the same, then it's time to upgrade them. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Carol. Thank you, Naomi. We've definitely come to the end of time, but really fascinating discussion. I feel like there's more to be more to be had here. Um, well, can I just invite um, our members, if you've got some specific concerns or, or our conversation has raised any, any matters that you'd like us to have a bit of a think about, can you please get get back to Kwame and so that you know we're able to schedule something again in the near in the very near future to, to move on from this discussion. Excellent. Well thank you Carol. Thank you Naomi. Very welcome. It's great to be back together. Yes. This podcast was a production of the Governance Risk and Compliance Institute and the music was produced by Rob Neary. <laughs>